Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Jack, and I'm a pediatrician with a purpose. As women, we have so much power, but how do we access it? This podcast explores how to harness the power of purpose so that together we can be a driving force for good. I'm your host, Joe Tropiano, and I'm excited to be with you today as we learn from women who have made the choice to embrace and unleash their power of purpose. Hey, everyone. Welcome to With Purpose podcast. I'm Johanna Tropiano. I am your host, and I am the COO of Purpose Jewelry International Sanctuary, and we are so excited to have (laughs) our incredible guest, Dr. Jacqueline Winkleman. I'm going to give you a little bit of background on Dr. Jack, and then we'll get into it. And you can find her website at www.drjack.com. And of course, we'll have all of the information where you can find her and connect with her in our show notes when we publish the podcast. But Dr. Jacqueline Winkleman is a pediatric physician. She is a physician with um, Children's and uh, Children's Hospital in Orange County. She's had several positions there. Most recently, she held the position of Chief of Staff for Chalk. She's been awarded the Physician of Excellence in Pediatrics by Orange County Medical Association um, 2013 and 2018. She was selected as a top pediatrician by the International Association of Pediatricians, leading pediatricians of the world. And that's just a few things about Dr. Jacqueline. I know there's so much more and we're going to get into that today. So I'm super excited to have you as one of our guests. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're so excited. And I feel like if you are a mom and you have kids and you have some questions that you want to ask Dr. Jack, just drop them in the comments and I'll be able to get to them. And and we'll have some time at the end of the podcast, hopefully to um, answer questions that any of you might have. So All right, let's get into it. So Dr. Jack, I know that what you want to talk about today, and we'll we'll get this recorded at the end, but the theme of today and talking about with purpose is being a pediatrician with purpose. So maybe just start by telling everyone a little bit about yourself. I know you wear many hats. So talk about all those hats that you wear. Sure. Thank you. And again, thank you for having me. And it's it's a pleasure to to be with you today. I am international sanctuary is very special to me. So I'm very, very happy to be here. But yes, I do wear a few hats as most uh, moms do these days. First and foremost, I am a wife of almost 30 years and a mom of two. I have a 20 year old daughter and a 15 year old boy. So kind of going through that whole adolescence, young adulthood uh, part of child rearing and very satisfying and sometimes challenging. But that is my my most important role. I have been a pediatrician. I'm actually a pediatric hospitalist, which means I'm a hospital-based pediatrician. And I've been at chalk um, and chalk admission for almost 20 years. And yes, I have had several leadership roles, including uh, chief of staff most recently and participated in many of the hospital committees. I also work with young athletes. I do sports nutrition for young athletes and I work with teams in the area and throughout the country and individuals and try to optimize and just just get them to see the relationship between food and performance and growth and development because they have they're going through so much more than an adult 
athlete or a child that doesn't play sports. So it's important for them to get to know their body. And I feel like these are lessons that they're going to take with them way beyond their, their sports playing years. And I'm also a medical advisor for several companies that make pediatric products. And I feel like I have a completely different responsibility to patients and parents when I'm trying to advise these companies and help them create products that are safe, that are needed, and that will really be beneficial to that population. So yeah, very full life at this point. I can't complain. So that's awesome. That it sounds fun. And I I know we have talked before about one company in particular that you're working with, Mm -hmm. with with formula, which me as a mom who struggled with breastfeeding my child and not producing enough milk and all of those things was so important to try to find really good formula for my daughter when she was a baby. And so, and there are just a lack of, you know, some good options out there. So it's really cool that there's, there are new products already in the works for that. If you're a, if yeah. you're a breastfeeding mom and struggling in that area. Yeah. And I, and I think that the companies, especially newer startups, their companies actually are with a purpose. They have a mission, they're mission-driven companies. And that's my favorite thing about, particularly about Bobby, the the infant formula company. They are there, they exist to provide not only a good product, but also to help end the stigma of formula feeding and help change the conversation around feeding an infant for everyone. So yeah, yeah it, it, is, it is quite gratifying to, to work on that side of of pediatrics, because it's something so different than what I, you know, I see I work in the hospital, and I'm in the medical surgical unit, and in the ICU, and in high risk mm-hmm. deliveries, and it's a lot of, you know, relatively sick children. And this is just a completely different, different side of, of my life. So yeah, that's great. That's awesome. That's so that's so cool. Now, when did you know you wanted to be a pediatrician? So that's a really interesting question. I was actually born and raised in Puerto Rico. I am Puerto Rican. My parents, grandparents are Puerto Rican, a clearly European descent before then. But I lived there for 18 years until I moved away for college. But I knew specifically I wanted to be a pediatrician since probably around the age of 10. And the reason was because my mother's uncle was one of the first pediatric surgeons on the island. And I was with him all day long. He took me to the operating rooms. He took me to the hospital, things that would never be allowed nowadays. But back in the day, he did whatever he wanted at the hospital. So I got to have a really, really close, real exposure to medicine and pediatrics. But my favorite part was that he would do his post-op rounds. Actually, there were house calls. So we would get in the car and go to the middle of the island. And these families just adored him and they paid him. He was never a wealthy guy. They paid him with chickens and eggs and whatever these people had. And he was so happy. He was so well loved and respected. And there was just something there. I'm like, okay, this, this is something that I see myself doing. You know, pediatrics is not a career you go into for money. It is certainly on the lower end of the pay scale for medicine in general. You do it because you're passionate about children. And and to me, I taking care of children allows you to take care of an entire family. So it's it's really just more about, you know, the one the one kids and the love kids. And I think in general 
pediatric or doctors will tend to gravitate either to adult medicine or pediatric medicine, and we're both terrified of the other. So, mm-hmm. uh, I, if you ask a lot of adult doctors, they will say absolutely no children because they're scary <laughs> to them. And to me, it's my comfort zone. It's where I feel I can give the best and love my world of medicine, my world of pediatrics, and especially the medical missions. I forgot to say that is definitely a hat that I enjoy. I probably forgot about it because with COVID, haven't been able to do it in a couple of years. But I do go on medical missions, especially to Spanish-speaking countries, because it's my first language, and I feel like I can offer so much more to those families. There's a group from from Chalk that goes all over the world a couple times a year. So that's been a, a great part. But that's kind of how my pediatric, my love for pediatrics started was with my uncle. What a beautiful vision and model you had as a young girl. And honestly, just like a beautiful basis of base, uh, foundation mm-hmm. for you to see and to see the selflessness and all of that, obviously, yeah. that your uncle displayed. It's really cool. Um, really cool story. So what, I mean, I know we've talked about this a little bit, but what excites you most about the work you do? And I think of living lives with purpose, there's an excitement there. You know, when we are, when we are coming from a place of purpose, when we're acting out of a place of purpose, it it creates an excitement in what we do. Um, So what, what excites you the most about the work that you're doing now and, and the work in pediatrics? Children excite me. I, uh, honestly, they're so honest. <laughs> they're so uh, just free of any kind of inhibition or or you know little voices in their head. They'll just say it how how it is, and I love that about children. They take everything in stride. They don't complain. They don't know any better. They just they just. I mean, I, I see adults and children dealing with the same types of illnesses and just the way they respond to life is so mm. different and and they get better i mean children are very resilient so it's it's quite satisfying especially in my line of work where i see the sicker kids and you know they come in and in a few days they're back to their baselines and that is so gratifying to be able to you know send the little kid home that came looking so sad and totally happy and, and going about their, their day-to-day. But, but to me, a, another thing that I really, really love and that I feel like it's my purpose in pediatrics is to have intention with every interaction that I have. Mm-hmm. And in my day-to-day, the interaction is gonna be with a child, with their family, with my coworkers, with the rest of the hospital staff, administrators, and with the community. So it just kind of goes beyond my little four walls. And, and then of course, even more so in the medical missions and going abroad. So just the fact that you can impact and with, with the companies, I feel like I have a much bigger impact on the future kids and their parents. And that is, is certainly exciting. I love what you said about the intention piece, because I think that that's so important, especially in talk, you know, thinking through what it means to live a life of purpose. And I think Mm -hmm. that comment that you said there really hit the nail on the head of really just doing everything, everything, whether it's cleaning your bathroom at home or whether it's cooking a meal for your family or whether it's interacting with sick children at a hospital, but it really just always 
comes back to this sense of intention. And are we acting out of intention? Are we living out of intention? Are we doing things out of intention? And for me, I think that that's such a good baseline, a good place to start. And I mean, I remember early in my career when I was trying to figure out like, what am I going to do? And I was, I was selling pharmaceuticals. I was in a completely different place and I didn't feel like it was a very intentional career at the time, but that's kind of what it always came back to is I can choose to interact with this person with intention today. And I can choose to, and that's where really where finding that purpose starts, I think. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I think you're absolutely right. It does it doesn't really matter what it is you're doing as long as you are doing it with purpose. Yeah. So yeah, it, it just changes everything. It changes your mentality. For me, a lot of it is in my hospital work uh, was translated into empathy. And I feel like, you know, as a hospital doctor, you it's, it, you can get burned out. I mean, we're doing hospital shifts that are 16-hour night shifts and 24-hour weekend shifts, nights, holidays. You're away from your family, you know, quite a bit. And, you know, parents can be demanding. It's it's the harder part of it. The, the children are easy. It's dealing with the stress of the parent. But to me, especially after the first few years, I, I started to realize that th- this is my purpose is to help these parents and to feel empathy for what they're going through. And, I, you know, clearly by the time as a mom, you know, I know by the time you end up in the hospital, you've already haven't slept for a week. You are in an environment that you have no control over. And, you know, your child is miserable and that's the worst the worst that you can feel as a mom. So, so I really made an effort to partner with the parent on treatment plans and setting expectations. Cause I feel like that's, that's the key to happiness in a hospital is setting the right expectations. And, and so for me, purpose really translated into empathy. Yeah, that's awesome. There's um, a quote that I love that I came across. I mean, it's from C.S. Lewis, and I came across it several years ago, maybe like even a decade ago at this point, where he talks about, and I can't remember what book it's from, but he talks about how every single person that you come in contact with is not just a person, right? They are immortal. And so every interaction that you have with that person, you're either pushing them a little bit toward a beautiful immortality or a devastating immortality. So like you're either speaking life or death over that person and it's every interaction. And that really puts things into perspective. I think even with COVID, Mm -hmm. like, even seeing, you know, the people who work at our grocery stores, you know, the people who are, you know, it's, it's like before they were just there and now it's like, wow, going in through the grocery line has become so much more of an empathetic Mm -hmm. and purposeful thing for me (laughs) because Mm -hmm. These people were risking their lives yeah. <laughs> essentially for us yeah. um, during yeah. COVID to keep our toilet paper and yep. our groceries, like all of these <laughs> things, you know. Um, but I think that's so true. The empathy piece is is really, really a beautiful point that you made. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're gonna shift gears a little bit, but I know uh, a couple of the things that you um, have worked on and have become passionate about has dealt with the opioid opioid crisis and the impact that the opioid crisis has had on children. So can you talk a little bit more about that? I mean, it is a crisis. I remember really seeing this even in my time selling pharmaceuticals in Mm -hmm. rural West Tennessee before it really started to blow up 
you could yeah. go into places and, and know that this was a, a huge issue. So talk a little bit about your work there and why you became passionate about that topic. Yes, it has consumed quite a bit of my administrative life in the hospital, actually. And it all started because we were, I mean, I, I was in the hospital all the time. And at nighttime, we admit all the all the patients to the intensive care unit and started noticing that we had quite a few overdose um, admissions. And when we started looking at it, in one year, we had 62, which is more than one a week, adolescents that had overdose intentionally or unintentionally. But we started looking more and more at what were they overdosing with and opioids were by far number one in our area and and it was definitely an epidemic in, in orange county that i was not aware of i think my my kids were my oldest was probably in middle school at the time and the team of nurses at my one of the things i love about chalk admission in particular is a small community hospital and we work together on everything so the nurses started bringing up things to me and we started looking more and more and started to look for resources to learn about what was going on in our community. Why are these kids ending up here every week when our sister hospital, 40 minutes north, had a fourth of the admissions? So it was very local to us. And even though it's certainly widespread, but we felt it every day. And then we started noticing that, yes, not only it was very prevalent in our own community, but we started looking at the number of prescribed pills from our own hospital for these kids to go home on. And the numbers were astronomical. I mean, we had some surgeons prescribing a hundred pills for a kid that had a simple appendectomy. Things that just, there was so, I think it, the issue became because a few years earlier, there was a huge push for pain control. And pain was named the fifth vital sign along with heart rate and respiratory rate and temperature and blood pressure and pain. So I think as physicians, we were drilled. We had to do pain, continuing medical education, so nobody could be in pain. And if the pain was more than four out of 10, we, we got to medicate them. So, you know, the, I think the pendulum just kind of swung all the way to the other side. And then we're just giving these pills away like they're candy. And so as a group, as a hospital, we decided that our the one small thing that we could do was decrease the accessibility of these pills in our community. So we rolled out massive education to all the different departments, surgical, medical, nursing, um, PAs, anyone that could prescribe a medication. We had tons of education for the parent and for the adolescent that was going home on these medications. And in a matter of, I think it was six months to a year, we decreased the number of pills by more than 50%. Wow. Right. So it, it was definitely made an impact. And every few years, we now it's part of our onboarding when a new doctor comes on the medical staff. They are made aware of this issue here because we have a lot of doctors coming from all over the country. And we make a point of, of making sure that they know that we have different parameters. We change our policies in the emergency room to only prescribe 48 to 72 hours worth of medication and no more. Right. And so, yeah, we, we took some concrete steps to, to try to make a, a difference. And, and yes, the number of admissions has decreased significantly. 
not necessarily just because of that, but I know it's, it's part, it was part of it because we had, you know, we had kids coming in and out and getting discharged on opioids all the time with no, no education, no, this is how you dispose of them. This is, you know, these are the dangers. And then I, I, I was part of a documentary that is called Do No Harm that was from physicians to physicians and mm. just talking about responsible prescribing and, you know, the responsibility we have in controlling this epidemic because, you know, we like to blame the pharmaceutical companies and everyone else, but I think every step of the way can make a change to, to improve this, the outcomes. Yeah. On that note, do you have some recommendations for resources for anyone who might be listening or struggling with addiction or their children are struggling with addiction in this way? Where would you send them initially to get help for this, for something like this? Well, honestly, I mean, in my world, I'm dealing with with adolescents and younger. And I think the best place to start is your pediatrician because they know your child, they know your family. There may be mental health issues. Mm. You know, I feel like it's it's just one of those things that is much better if it's tailored to your particular child. Yes, there's national associations of addiction and mental health. They have hotlines and they even have hotlines specifically for opioid addiction within each state. And I can, I'll send you the link if you don't put it in the show notes too. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. But, yeah. but I, I, I really encourage the idea of, you know, now in pediatricians offices, they're doing mental health screens mm. uh, on every visit. And so I, I feel like we're, we're much more aware of, of the mental health slash addiction. And even, even if it's not addiction, just opioid use in general. And, and hopefully we can intervene before it gets to that point. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Switching gears here a little bit um, and talking about another another passion that you have is, you know, the issue of human trafficking, which is, you know, some of the work that that it is the work that International Sanctuary does. And so can you talk about how you became passionate about about human trafficking and and the work that you've done um, around that issue? Yeah, absolutely. It was kind of serendipitous. I was at church one day and they had a little, you know, video of this organization called International Sanctuary and they were selling jewelry outside. And I I, I was at a point in my in my career, honestly, that I was looking, I was looking for more purpose. That's exactly what I was looking for. I was looking to do something that was meaningful, not just for me, but for others. And Yes, you know, I, I was doing my pediatrics and my medical missions and, and all of that. But when I saw this video and I saw these girls, I'm like, okay, this, this is, I need to do this. So I reached out and got more and more involved. And I've only been part of it for a few years, I want to say a couple of years. But again, trying to figure out, you know, what one person can do made me want to translate some of this information and knowledge back to my world, which is my hospital. And with the help of Lisa Murdoch, an amazing nurse that I work with and good friends with, and she's very passionate about human trafficking, has been involved with it for many years. We are creating some tools in the hospital to educate practitioners 
in all from the emergency room all the way you know to the hospital and beyond i've done talks for our community pediatricians to try to identify kids at risk but also have created lisa created an actual screening tool that we use in the hospital now to try wow. to identify and a lot of you know trauma informed type of interaction with potential victims so that we can intervene appropriately and not Safely. cause more harm. I think, you know, in the, in the world of pediatrics and the American encounter of pediatrics, trauma informed education has been huge. Um, now, of course, with COVID even more so because mental health has been, you know, so impacted by this disease in, in our, in our population. But I think we're all very sensitive to it now. And it's been very well received. I have, you know, pediatricians after my medical staff uh, talk, just ask for more resources. And so we have sent them some and it's been it's been really great. Uh, you know, I, I love to throw parties and that's great. So I've had jewelry parties at my house, but I feel like I, I needed to do something that that was more specific to practicing pediatrics with a purpose. What I love so much about your story and the way that you approached this, you know, when you, because I think what happens a lot of times, and, you know, I've been working now in human rights and anti-trafficking specifically for 15 years. And I think that there's, you can, it can feel like such an overwhelming problem. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a $150 billion industry. Mm-hmm. It impacts millions and millions of people. And, and it can feel like such an overwhelming problem that you, you can feel paralyzed and almost mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, this is so much bigger than me. There isn't really any, what can I do? And what I love so much about your story is you you were able to find a connection between the work that you do and who you are as a person and as a mom and your career. And you were able to bridge the issues together and yeah. find a way to, to do that. And I think that that's super inspiring because, you know, there's no sort shortage of work that you can do in this mm-hmm. area. Right. But it is, it's kind of just finding your niche and like, yeah. what is it that you do? And then how can, how can you kind of bridge that between this issue that you care about and, and also the work that you do? And is there a way to combine them? You know, I agree. Whatever. I agree. I think, I think as long as you're, inspired. It doesn't matter what your profession is. It doesn't matter what you do. I have friends that have been touched by the human trafficking story because I have introduced them to them. This is way, you know, outside of the hospital and my stay at home mom friends have now made their own little networks of trying to educate other moms, trying to create awareness and help, but, you know, put jewelry together and they get together on their own. I don't even go half the time because I can't, but (laughs) <laughs> but it, it's been really nice to see how people, you know, you you got to work within your network and and who who you relate with. Everybody has a role to play in this. Every single person, even my daughter, who's a film student, it, she actually created the the video for the screening tool for the hospital. So wow. everybody can contribute in their own way. So I agree. I think it sometimes feels like, wow, this is this is way more than one person can handle. But if every little, every person just puts in their little piece, it, you know, the authorities will do their thing and, and kind of the big organizations will do their thing. But really it's a grassroots type, type of um, movement that, that needs to happen. Yeah, for sure. I think that's awesome. So 
let's shift gear because we're coming down to the end here. And we've talked, we've covered quite a few things in this with and some tough topics with the, the opioid crisis, the issues of human trafficking, but share a little bit about what you do for fun. What are your go-to fun hobbies? <laughs> what do you enjoy? I am a foodie and I am a hostess. (laughs) I love, I love entertaining. I think this is definitely my Hispanic heritage. Food and wine and having friends and family over are, there were, these are the ways that we show love as, as Hispanics in our culture. And so it's always been very, very important to me. And I do like, to have my parties, <laughs> but I love, I love the outdoors. COVID's been really tough for you. <laughs> COVID was extremely tough for me. And actually that was the hardest part for me was not being able to have people over not being able to see my friends and in, in my own house and just shower them with food. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's probably my, my favorite thing to do. Do you have a favorite recipe that maybe we can share? I put you, I totally put you on the spot here. I, I, I have many uh, recipes <laughs> I could share. Yes. And, and interestingly, I actually tend to gravitate more to Spanish, South American, Indian, Middle Eastern. I love just ethnic foods, even more so than Puerto Rican food, I think because, which of course is ethnic, but not to me, mm-hmm. because the ingredients are a little bit harder to find here in California. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I definitely will share oh with your favorites. So, that'd be so fun. Mm-hmm. That'd be awesome. We'll put, we'll put, maybe we'll put one of Dr. Jack's favorite recipes yeah. in the in the yeah. uh, notes as well, so you can look forward to that. And then, last question, I just, I, I want to end. What is your, what is your favorite piece of purpose jewelry? Um, I see you're, you're wearing, wearing some earrings right now. Yes. Yes. These are, <laughs> these are my favorite. I, I think I wear. I think I've, I've seen you while we're both wearing them. Yeah, the, I, I wear these almost every single day. Yeah, the baroque, the baroque uh, little hoops. But I, I have, I have lots of jewelry. It's, it's kind of fun, cute, easy to wear. It's, it's very much my style. So, I well, probably also Oprah's favorite piece. Of yes, jewelry. yes, <laughs> and, and all of my friends and family have some piece of. <laughs> purpose jewelry. That's awesome. I mine. I've been working now for purpose jewelry for eight weeks, and mine are already getting close. To yeah. yeah. So yeah. awesome. Good. Well, um, this has been so much fun. Um, thank you. Thank, thank you for having to me. Those who have viewed, thank you so much, Doctor Jack, for giving us some of your time. Thank you guys so much, and we will see you next month. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Thank you for listening to today's episode of With Purpose. We are so glad you're here on this journey with us to living lives of greater purpose. To learn more about how you can get involved with Purpose Jewelry or International Sanctuary, visit us at www.purposejewelry.org and follow us on social media at Purpose Jewelry. I'm Joe Tropiano and we will see you next time.